We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. So our goal over the next two days, today and tomorrow in the afternoon, is to go through an introduction to Al-Baqarah, Surah Al-Baqarah, second surah of the Qur'an. And this is going to place heavy focus on the first 39 ayahs of Al-Baqarah. In the first 39 ayahs, you will have the entire foundation of the Islamic outlook. And we're going to go through it piece by piece, ayah by ayah. How far did we go through in your class? Okay, well then, refresher. Okay, so first let me give you an outline of the whole structure of Al-Baqarah for our purposes. So how many ayahs are there in Al-Baqarah? Anybody tell me? Two. Mashallah. 286 ayahs. Yeah. So there are four essential parts to Al-Baqarah. The first part is what we, for our purposes, are going to call the introduction. This is what we are covering in this class. And so these are ayahs, two, uh, ayahs 1 through 39. Then we will have the Ummah of Musa alayhi salam. This is Ayah 40 through 123. Then we will have the Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. going to be from Ayah 75 through 284. Notice they overlap. And then the last we'll have the conclusion, which is Ayahs 285, 286. If we have time, we'll, we'll briefly touch on these other sections. <coughs> but the name of the surah, let's look at that first. What, uh, what do we get by a name? Whether we're speaking about a surah, or a person, or a book, what does a name tell us? What function does a name give us? How to identify something. So identification is the primary purpose, right? What's your name? Atas. Atas. So when I say Atas, you know who I'm talking about. If I say the name Atas, what else do you assume about this person? Probably assume he's a man. Right? Anything else? Pretty cool. Okay. He himself, when he hears this name, he might assume that the person is pretty cool. Okay. Whether or not the rest of you agree, that's a different issue. Okay. So the primary purpose of the names of the suras is identification. In some cases, it will also give us a summary of what the surah is about. So when we speak of al-fatiha, the opener, we're also getting a sense of what is the function of the first surah. Okay, other names of al-Fatiha, al-Shifa, that is also giving us a function of the surah itself. Al-Baqarah is believed to be connected to one particular story in the Ummah of Musa, peace be upon him, which we won't get into, but I know most of you are familiar with this. This is the story of the Lord of the Cow, which may or may not be giving us a summary of the surah. Okay. 
The primary purpose of the names is identification. Where do we get the names from? Like if I open up the oldest copies of the Quran, will I find the name Al-Baqarah in there? No, I don't. But where, where do we get these names from? We still, in almost every case, get them from the Prophet, peace be upon him. Another name that scholars give to this particular surah is the surah of the two ummas, surat ummatain, because it is about two, two ummas, the ummah of Musa alayhi salam and the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi salam. And what then is derived from that is one simple question, where Allah Ta'ala is telling us Look at everything that was given to the Ummah of Musa, alayhi salam, and look at how they responded. Okay. And then look at what I, well, look at what Allah Ta'ala is giving you, the Ummah of Muhammad, peace be upon him. How do you respond to what he's giving you? Okay. If we were to sum up the entire surah, there's many ways to sum it up. That's one way to sum it up. That Allah Ta'ala is showing us a generation that came before, and how they responded to the gifts from Allah. And then the question gets directed to us, how do we respond to the gifts that Allah has given us? And to take this point a step further, the story of the Ummah of Musa, peace be upon him, is in our language, a tragedy. And it is a tragedy because of one key flaw, and that's lack of gratitude. They were given every single thing of dunya, but they did not respond with gratitude. And what happens when you do not have gratitude? No matter what you're given, you feel like you have nothing, and you want more. But then what has Allah Ta'ala given us? If he's given the Ummah of Musa everything of dunya, what has he given us? How would you answer that question? So he's given us Islam. He's given us the Prophet, peace be upon him. You can't get anything better in the universe than to be given the Prophet, peace be upon him. And then with the Prophet, peace be upon him, comes the Quran. And what else has happened as a result of that? Our attention has shifted away from dunya to hidayah, from the world to guidance. And so they are given everything of dunya but did not have gratitude, so they wanted more, they felt like they had nothing. We are given the best of creation. And we are given guidance. And the question becomes, how do we respond to that? And so, what is in this guidance is what we're going to explore, inshallah, in these two classes. So, I'm going to make reference back and forth to Al-Fatiha periodically, but we're going to jump right into Al-Baqarah itself. Everybody have a copy of the, of the translations? And if you also have uh, uh, the Quran uh, on your phone, bring that up too. So you can go back and forth, especially looking at the translation if you don't know the Arabic. I will be making reference to the Arabic itself quite a bit, inshallah. Alright, <clears throat> so everyone knows the first ayah of Al-Baqarah. What does your translation say? For Alif Lam Mim, what does your translation say? It says Alif Lam Mim. Does in are your other translations does it say anything else? Okay. So when we speak of Alif Lam Mim, 
Tell me about this. First, the answer everyone's going to give, which is correct, which is the most correct answer. No one knows what this means except for Allah. Okay, that part's done. Tell me more about this. Yes? Allah well, swearing by letters. Okay, so it could be that Allah Ta'ala is swearing by letters. Yeah, that's one interpretation of this. What else? Like, it's still like, <clears throat> like we're never going to know what it means, so like, it kind of like humbles us, like, no matter how much you know. Okay, so this is a very important point. This is a mystery. And think of all the mysteries or the unknowns that you have in your life. Okay. So one unknown in this moment is, what does this mean? Do I need to know what this means? If I don't know what this means, how will that affect my life? Okay. Having said that, outside of the Quran, what are some unknowns in your life? Are you raising your hand? No, you're just scratching your chin. Okay, feel free. Okay, what are some unknowns? Yes? The future. The future is an unknown. What else is an unknown? Why we, go through, why we go through some tragedies. Yeah. Why is this happening to me is often an unknown. Why specifically this and not that? Why is it happening to me and not to that person? What else? What else is unknown? Big unknown. What is going to happen to me specifically on the other side? These are all parts of the unknown. Good. And the point made is that how you respond to the unknown will give you a hint of the condition of your Iman. And one way to respond to the unknown is to acknowledge that you have limits. Meaning what? If I am saying, I don't know what this means, but Allah knows what this means, I'm accepting that I have limits. Okay? That there's limits to my knowledge that Allah Ta'ala is not limited by. So when we're saying we don't know what this means, only Allah knows, that's essentially what we're saying. That I have limits that Allah Ta'ala is not limited by. Very, very important point in navigating life. Because what you will find yourself very often is wanting to know the future. Or wanting to know what someone else is thinking. But, if I'm saying that there's limits that I'm bound by that Allah Ta'ala is not bound by, then I'm also saying that I trust Allah, that if I need to know, I will find out. Okay. So built into this is also trust. We're going to revisit this over and over again, as you'll see in the next few ayat. Now, how do we know how to pronounce this? Because if, let's say, I know a little bit of Arabic, <coughs> and I've never seen or heard the Quran, how would I pronounce this word? So it could be alam or how else? Alima, something like that. What is alam? Sorry? Well, alim, alima is pain. So I might look at this and say pain. Or this could be an interrogative. Alam nashrat laka sadrak, right? Is, this not, is the following not true? How do I know to pronounce this as alif lam How do I know? Okay, but this harakat is not used for anything like this the rest of the book. How do I know? That's how you're taught. This is how you're taught. Right. Meaning, how do we know how to pronounce all the letters? It's because we're taught by someone who's taught by someone who's taught by someone who's taught by someone going all the way back to the prophet, peace be upon him. I'll give you a different example. I'm assuming all of you know how to pray. Okay. How did you learn how to pray? See if you can remember. Unless you don't know how to pray. You, you yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, my parents taught me. Okay. How did you learn how to pray? 
baseball cap, how'd you learn how to pray? How'd you learn how to pray? I learned it on the carpet in my first grade class. You learned it from the carpet? Like on the carpet. Uh, okay, first grade, first, first grade, grade class. How'd you learn how to pray? Okay, so from a person in Islamic school, it wasn't like the building itself, right? Okay. How'd you learn how to pray? Parents. This is fascinating. You might start from a video, you might start from the internet, you might start from the book, from a book, but how do you really learn how to pray from another person? And it's the same point. You learn how to pray from someone who learns how to pray from someone, who learns how to pray from someone, literally going back 1,400 years, all the way back to the Prophet. Okay. There's no central manual on how to pray. We know it's in the teachings of the Prophet, peace be upon him. We know it's in the Hadith literature. But what did the Prophet, peace be upon him, say? Pray as what? Pray as you see me pray. Okay. And so another lesson you can take from Alif Lam Mim is the idea of a continuous living tradition. Okay. That how do I know to pronounce this such and such way? Even how long to make the Lam and how long and how to make the Lam and the Mim merge? Because that's what's handed down. Imagine trying to write a book on how to pronounce every single letter of the Quran. So if the Quran is this big, how, would that, how large would that book be? Yeah, it'd be, it'd be huge. As opposed to you learn from someone who has been taught it, who learns from someone who learns from someone. And so what else are we learning from Alif Lam Mim? That a major part of our Islam is what in English we call the living tradition. Think about how fascinating that is. We have Muslims of literally every single education level of literacy and illiteracy. We have Muslims of every single economic background, every single corner of the world, and there's no central manual on how to pray. Okay. And then you go to Hajj, and everybody prays almost exactly the same way. Meaning, if I pray like this in Qiyam, or if I pray like this, that also gets traced back to the Prophet, peace be upon him. Okay? If I do this, or if I do this, this also gets traced back to the Prophet, peace be upon him. Okay? There's no book. Okay? This is one of the open miracles of Islam that we take for granted because we just see it every single day. Okay? There's no central manual. No other religious community has one central practice of prayer. Look at the Jews, the Catholics come the closest. Look at the rest of the Christians, look at the Buddhists, etc. You're going to find all kinds of different ways to pray. Yet when you look at us, you see the same thing over and over again. You have secondary acts outside of the first Takbir and outside of the, of the Salam at the end, where people have all kinds of variations, but from those two points, it's the same thing over and over and over again. Okay. Open miracle. And what am I saying? This is another lesson to take from Alif Lami. And it goes a step further. Who is the main character in the Qur'an? How would you answer that question? There's two possible right answers here. So Allah, you can say, is the main character of the Qur'an. Or whom else? Believers. Before the believers, which particular believer? Sorry, you're not, you're not, no one's going to yell at you in this class. Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. Right? He's the main character of the Qur'an. Right? That is his story. You cannot separate the Quran from the Prophet, peace be upon him. Now think about this. Contrast the Quran with most novels that we read or movies that you watch. Okay, someone named the movie you watched recently. Admit it, you watched a movie. Which one? Mm -hmm. Spider-Man. Spider-Man? Did you like it? 
It was better for as Peter Parker. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Not as good in terms of the Spider-Man part. But that's just my opinion. Mm -hmm. do, you, do, you, do you disagree or agree? No. Okay. It's like, yeah, yeah I liked it. <laughs> I want to grow up to be Spider-Man. Anyway, actually, Spider-Man's your age now. That's interesting. Okay. So, but when you're watching a movie, you're not a character in the story. Okay. You're watching someone else's story play out, and maybe you're identifying with characters. Here, the prophet PC upon him, even though he's only a little bit mentioned directly, he's a character in the book. Right? And then by extension, you and I are each characters in the story. Because so many times Allah Ta'ala is saying, Ka, you. Okay? Meaning he's addressing the reader. Okay? Or come, all of you. And this is a point that will take some time to think about, but this is a difference between what we call informative learning and transformative learning. Somebody tell me what is the difference between informative and transformative, and it's fine if you take a guess. Who wants to try? Yes? Um, informative would be something that's like this knowledge-based and transformative is something that's supposed to actually change you in yeah, action. Yeah, exactly. So informative knowledge is you're just consuming, 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 consuming information. Okay. Like suppose this class was about the history of France. Okay. So you're going to learn all these dates, all these locations, French fries, whatever it is, how people dress, some guy walking around with a sword, whatever it is. Okay. Transformative learning is you're taking some knowledge and you're embodying it, and you're practicing it, and it changes you. So another way to think of informative is what we call disembodied knowledge. And then <clears throat> transformative is embodied knowledge. So for example, <clears throat> if I were to poll each and every one of you, List for me at least a piece of every hadith that you know. Okay? And I'm not exaggerating when I say, looking at all of you, we could probably compile, no exaggeration, probably 2,000 hadith, at least in pieces. Okay? But the question is, how many of those do I practice? If I'm just remembering it, it's informative. If I'm practicing it, it becomes transformative. So, what is one of the first hadith that everybody learns? Uh, if you do not show mercy, you will not be shown mercy. Give mercy to those in the world, and the one who is in heaven will give, heaven will give mercy to you. Rahma. Okay. If I'm just remembering it, okay, then I'm remembering a hadith, and that is still very beneficial. Okay. But if I'm practicing Rahma, making it a goal to practice Rahma, and that will change how I behave, that will change how I look at the world, that will change how I look at Allah Ta'ala, that will change how I look at myself. Okay. So our focus is on transformative learning. So you're going to take notes, but I want you, as we go through, try to figure out how to live what we are covering. And one point we've talked about is when you're dealing with the unknown, you're accepting that there's things that are your limits. You're not going to know. You're not going to be able to do. Yet you have trust in Allah that you'll be okay. okay. So now we're going to take a short, really quick exercise for 60 seconds. You're not going to share this with anyone else. In your notebooks, write one, two, three, really quickly.
And so, I want you to list three ways that you specifically, and this is private, no one else needs to see it, you specifically can develop trust in Allah. I'll give you 60 seconds and we'll continue. Inshallah. And your goal is to really develop this. Because many, many of my students are just a little bit older than most of you. And I know how much so many of them struggle to have trust in Allah. So it's totally understandable if many of you struggle to have trust in Allah. Because at least they're a little bit older. They're college students. not finished with your list, that's fine. Try to, try to finish your list of three items at some point. But really reflect on this. How can I develop further trust in Allah? Now, next ayah. First, some of the easy points. So, you have fihi right here. And if you look in your Arabic, you'll see three dots before, three dots after. Someone tell me what is this, or what does this mean? Yeah, stop at one or stop at the other. We don't really have an equivalent punctuation in, in the English language. It's almost like you have two semicolons, maybe, or two commas, but you only stop at one of the commas. But now let's look at how we would translate this. This book, and this is one part, no doubt, another part, and it's another part. Guidance for those of taqwa. So these are the different phrases in the book. Okay. So what's also fascinating here is we have two sentences built in at the same time because it's one system of punctuation. So one way to read this, simply speaking, this book has no doubt in it semicolon. It is guidance for those who have taqwa. Okay. So the first way to read this, or a first way, this book has no doubt in it, semicolon, it is guidance for those who have taqwa. Okay. Another way to read this, this book has no doubt, semicolon, in it is guidance for those who have taqwa. See the difference? Either in it will be part of the first half, or it's going to be part of the second half. You need me to repeat these at all? Okay. What's the difference between these, between these two readings? In terms of the first part, this book has no doubt, or, or actually, let's make this even easier. The, second, uh, the first way we said is this book has no doubt in it, right? An easier way to read the second one 
is this is the book, no doubt. What's the difference between the two? And to make a point further, I met a person who became Muslim just because of this aisle. And we'll explain why in a moment. What's the difference between the two readings? This is this book has no doubt in it versus this book is this book no doubt. Yes, sir. One confirms the identification and the other states that there's no mistakes in it. Okay. Yeah. Even simpler, the point you're making is that the book is doubtless and the contents of the book are doubtless. Somebody define for us what is doubt. Raib. What is doubt? Like if you have doubt about something, what does that mean? Uncertainty. What else? Okay, maybe there's confusion. Maybe there's skepticism. Okay. Like, I don't know if I should trust this. That's what doubt is. Okay. And that's another variation of the unknown. Right? We just spoke about the unknown with Alif Lamim. And now we have the opposite. We have something that is so ambiguous. And now we have something that is so categorically clear. Okay. Now, why is this especially important in this era, in Chicago in 2017, or in America in 2017? Because one of the big ideas that are built into much of what you will learn, especially in college, is called postmodernism. Anybody ever heard of this term before? So the idea of postmodernism is nothing is true and everything is true. Meaning, if you take something as true, that's fine, just don't, don't hurt anybody with it. And if I have my truth, that's fine, just don't hurt anyone with it, but no one really has a real truth because there is no real truth. That's part of the idea of postmodernism. But we're not saying that. We're saying there are some things that are absolutely true. Yeah. And the Quran is being, saying this right at the beginning, this book, is absolutely true, and everything in the book is absolutely true. What if I have doubt about that? What do I do? What if I'm Muslim, and I don't want to admit to anyone that I'm just not sure? We'll get that answer probably, uh, hopefully later on today. Inshallah. Yes? Could you read it both ways one more time? Sorry? Could you read it both ways one more okay. time? Okay. So the first part we were saying is this is the book that has no doubt in it. Okay. In the second way, this is the book, no doubt. Okay. So the first way we were reading it, we were saying inside, there's no doubt. And then the second way, the book itself, doubtless. Okay. Yes? It can be read both ways, but like, does it mean both things? That's how it's commonly understood, both of those readings. Yeah. Because of those three dots, those two groups of three dots. Yeah. So it's like you have two sentences built into the same words. Pretty neat. Oh, okay. Good question. All your questions, Moshallah, have been pretty good so far. Okay, now let's look at the second half. It is guidance for those who have taqwa, as well as in it is guidance for those who have taqwa. Yeah. So one of the first big questions is, what do we mean by this thing, taqwa? Many of your translations will say fear of Allah. Uh, what does the, the translation we passed out say? Those who are mindful of God or something? Yeah. Mindful of God? Okay, that also works. So the word taqwa comes from the same root 
that the word for shield comes from. Not like the agent of shield. Yeah. Okay. So, shield. If you're holding a shield, why would you be doing that? Unless, of course, you're you're Wonder Woman or something. But why would you be holding a shield? Yeah. You're understanding that something's trying to hit you. So here we also have a lesson in how dunya works. Okay. That part of the design of dunya is things are going to constantly be hitting you over and over again through the course of your life. Okay. Some of those things will cause you to be afraid, like the unknown. Some of those things might cause you physical pain. Some of those things might cause you emotional pain. This is part of the design of dunya. Dunya has many types of beautiful things in it. But also, it has many things that will hit you and hit you and hit you. Okay. And so, what are we saying here? That if I have taqwa, I'm shielding myself with Allah. And what does that mean? That as life is hitting me, and I'm sure every one of you, if I ask you to give me, list for me some of the difficult struggles you've had in life, I'm sure every one of you could give me a list of things that have hit you over the course of your life. Okay. And what are we saying? One way you can approach it is by being a person in the middle of an ocean, surrounded by storms, like you're going to drown. Okay. Or... You can be that person who feels like you're in the middle of the ocean, yet you know that Allah Ta'ala is going to get through this in one way or the other. Okay. That is taqwa. Okay. But part of taqwa goes a step further. So there's a conversation between two sahabas, and many of you have heard the story. One is asking the other, and one narration to Allah, a male, be pleased with him asking another companion, define for me, explain for me what is taqwa. And what does he say? Well, that's Ihsan. We'll get to that. But taqwa is what? <clears throat> you have to walk through a forest of, st of thorns, right? And all you have to protect yourself is a shroud. And then in another narration, you're looking carefully where you're stepping. Okay? That is taqwa. What does it mean? It means you're always on guard. Okay? That's what it means to hold a shield, right? You're being on guard. So it means you're always active in terms of how you are looking at the world. But here's the interesting thing. This ayah is saying that the Quran is guidance if you have taqwa. One of our questions is going to be what? How do I get taqwa in order to have the guidance of those who have taqwa? That we'll get to in about 20 hours from now. There's also other commentaries on what the book is. The most common is, is the, the Quran itself, and we can talk about other readings, inshallah. We go to it. Yes? Um, so bringing it back to the sentence structure, yeah. uh, the difference, so like, what is the difference between the book itself having no doubt and the content? Is it just like the idea of the Quran and then versus what is actually inside of the Quran being doubtless? Like, what's the difference? That so, so what you've described is... The content is doubtless, and the container is doubtless, too, right? But think about what that means. <clears throat> what is there in this world that you feel like you can completely rely upon? Because this world is stressful. 
And I'll say, having also grown up in this world, in this society, life is a lot more stressful than your age group than it was for me when I was your age. Okay? Because you guys are hit with way more things than I was in my age, starting with everything you have on social media. Right? And sometimes, if you haven't already, you're going to find yourself starving for something to hold on to. Okay? So we're saying the Quran itself is something to hold on to, as well as the contents. Another way to think about this, think of the, the container as the recitation of the Quran. Okay? Even if I don't understand a single word. And the content will be the understanding of, the, of what it's saying. That you will find yourself over the course of your life looking for something to hold on to, to rely upon, almost like a life preserver. I mean, to make this point a step further, um, <clears throat> how many of you have seen that Netflix series, 13 Reasons Why? Yeah. No surprise. Okay. So in terms of, of my students at Loyola, here's what was going on in this past school year, and maybe some of you had similar experiences or noticed similar things. Okay. My students began the school year last fall totally out of energy. Usually when you begin the school year, you're full of energy. But they were out of energy, and I think it was because last summer was so stressful. There were so many bombings, there was the shootings in Orlando, there was so much stress that just being Muslim can be exhausting. And they began the school year exhausted. And then as we got closer to the elections, they got more and more full of anxiety. And then he wins, and the anxiety shoots through the roof. And then as we're getting closer to inauguration, my students are literally coming to my office crying, terrified about what's happened, what's going to happen to us. Okay. And it is a serious time. But then it went further. Inauguration was what month? January. January. February, March, students started coming to me with faith issues. How do I know if I should believe this? What should I believe? Okay. And I think some of it was really them reaching this point of the stress is just beating them down more and more and more, to the point that I don't know what I can trust. What can I rely upon to be safe? But then when we got to April, then what skyrocketed, the number of students who came to my office saying they wanted to end everything. Okay? And I'm talking about Muslim students, just a little bit older than all of you. And perhaps you've seen this in some of your peers, and perhaps some of you have even experienced some of these feelings. And I'll say on a side note, if you have, do reach out for help. And you can always Google me. It's easy to find me. Just look up Muslim Chapel in Loyola, and you'll find out my, my contact info. But the point is that I had all these students who were coming to me saying they wanted to end it all. And then we discovered it wasn't just with Muslims. It was all across the country, everybody. And the closest thing we could trace it to was this, this TV show. But the point is that I don't think a TV show is strong enough to make someone go to the edge. I think it's basically taking people who are close to the edge much closer. But what is it also saying? If somebody young is saying, I want to end it all, they're saying, okay, life is too hard. I don't know how I'm going to get through. And one thing that Dean should give you, one thing religion should give you, is a way to navigate through life. So that when you're hit with those moments, you have some answers on how to get through. And hopefully we'll develop some of those answers as we go through these 39 IS. And one of the big things we've addressed is that you're always going to have unknowns. I have big unknowns in my life. Every one of you has big unknowns in your life. And either I can live in fear of the unknowns, or I can decide, at the very least, life goes on. One of the nice things about turning into a middle-aged Pakistani uncle is that you just reach this point where you decide, yeah, life goes on. This horrible thing is happening. Life goes on. 
Okay, flat tire, life goes on. Whatever, fire, life goes on. It sounds really funny, but it's amazing how much you can get through life just with that, but I'm saying being gives you even more. Okay, <clears throat> so this is what we're saying. It's giving you something to hold on to, at the very, very least, something you can trust. Okay. Now let's get to the next aisle. Somebody read for me the translation of the next aisle. Could you read the second one the second way again? The second way? Sure. Yeah. Um, it is guidance for those who have taqwa. Mm -hmm. In it is guidance for those who have taqwa. So we're also developing something that I want to develop, or we have something that I want to develop within myself. It is taqwa. So one of our questions is going to be, over the course of the next 30 samayas, how do I develop taqwa? What are some steps I need to take to develop taqwa? Now what we're going to have in the next two ayahs are six attributes of those people who have taqwa. In fact, I'll rattle them off for you. So note these down. You can either put numbers in your translations or just write them down. Number one, they believe in the unseen. And I'll repeat these. Number two, they establish salah. Number three, they spend of what we have bestowed upon them. And I'll repeat these. Number one, they believe in the unseen. Number two, they establish salah. Number three, they spend of what we have bestowed upon them. Number four, they believe in the revelation sent down to Muhammad, peace be upon him. Number five, they believe in what was sent down to those before him, peace be upon him. And number six, they are certain of the hereafter. I'll repeat them all. Number one, they believe in the unseen. Number two, they establish salah. Number three, they spend of what we have bestowed upon them. Number four, they believe in what has been sent down to Muhammad, peace be upon him. I think the other way I said it, they believe in the revelation sent down to him, peace be upon him. Number five, they believe in what has been sent down to those before him. And number six, they are certain of the hereafter. These are six of the many attributes of the people who have taqwa. So one way for me to develop taqwa is to try to develop these six attributes. Anybody need me to repeat the six? Very cool. Yes. The third one. Starting from the third one. Yeah. They believe in what has been sent down to Muhammad, peace be upon him. Number five. Oh, wait, that was number four. You need number three? Uh, just see, uh, have you stoned upon them? Okay, yeah. yeah. So number four is they believe in what has been sent down to Muhammad, peace be upon him. Number five, they believe in what has been sent down to those before him, peace be upon him. And number six, they are certain of the hereafter. Oh, do you guys take breaks in the class? Or do we just fly through? Okay, I guess we're just going to fly through. Okay, all right. Until you guys start looking like my undergrad. Like, yeah, or the way my kids look anytime I start talking. Okay. So, all of these are six attributes of the many attributes in the Quran of those who have taqwa. And so we said one way to develop taqwa is to develop each of these, but we'll also talk about how to develop some of these. But the first one, they believe in the unseen, the ghaib. So list for me 
what are some things that are in the unseen, in the ghaib? And there's two answers that I'm looking for just to see how fast it is people say them. Okay. But there's maybe four or five, six answers. Yes. Jinn. I always wait to see how long it is before someone says jinn, and jinn is almost always the first one. Okay. What else is part of the unseen? Angels. What else? Allah. Then I wait to see how long it is before someone says Allah, and jinns always come before Allah. Okay. What else is in the unseen? So we have jinns, angels, Allah. What else? Sorry? So, heaven and hell are in the unseen. What else? Okay, so the prophets came before, peace be upon them. So a way to frame heaven and hell, the future is in the unseen, just like we said it's in the unknown, and history is in the unseen. Okay. So there are beings that are in the unseen, but actually before beings, there's Allah who is in the unseen, and there's beings like angels and jinns that are in the unseen. We believe in ghosts. Yeah, usually our, our ghost stories are jinn stories. Yeah. Maybe if we have time, we'll tell some gin stories. <laughs> okay. History is in the unseen. So at the end of Surah Yusuf, Allah Ta'ala is speaking to the Prophet, peace be upon him, having told him the story of Yusuf, saying, this is from the unseen. You were not there when this happened. Okay. History is in the unseen. Think about that. And the future is definitely in the unseen, which includes the Day of Judgment, which includes Heaven and Hell. You think of anything else? Um, Raise your hand. Would you define um, history as an unseen, even though there were people yeah. in our faith that have seen it? Yeah. What's, what's unseen to each individual? Exactly. Meaning, I'm here. I have never seen Prophet Yusuf. I trust that he existed because the Quran says that he existed. Right? But I've never seen him. So he's part, as far as I'm concerned, of the unseen, right? I mean, the prophet peace be upon him has seen angels, but we'd still consider them to be part of the unseen. Yeah. Your deeds. Your deeds. That's an interesting point. So, what will be waiting for you in the day of judgment is also part of the unseen. Yeah. You know, which scale is going to be heavier? What else is part of the unseen? Someone else's intentions. What is in someone else's heart for you is in the unseen. This is especially relevant if you find yourself worrying, what do people think about me? You know, the interesting thing when you're like age 15 to maybe 30, you're often worried about what people are thinking about you, more than you might admit. Okay. When you get to be my age, crusty old Pakistani uncle, you don't care what people think about you, right? Then when you're in your 60s, which is older than me, when you're in your 60s, then you realize no one was actually even thinking about you in the first place. <laughs> right? yeah. But everybody has to go through that whole process. Like, what are they people? What are people thinking? What if I dress like this? I mean, obviously, if I dress like this, I don't really care what people <laughs> think about me. Okay, so these are people who have iman in the ghaib. Give me a simple translation of iman. So we usually translate as faith, but what does faith mean? Right? Trust is included in that. So Iman and Amana come from the same same root. What else? If I have faith in something, yes. You would believe in it like with certainty without having to see it. Without like like straight up proof. Like so yeah, I'm taking it as true. To have Iman means that you take something as true 
So much so that you feel secure in it. When we speak of faith, we're often saying, I can't prove it. Okay, like doubt. But when we're talking about Iman, we're saying, you are so secure in it that it might even radiate outwards. This is Iman. So that if you have Iman in the unseen, if people are in your company, it will help them have Iman in the unseen. So Iman is not just to be taking it as true. That's part of it. Part of it is to trust. And deeper, you take it as so true, you feel secure in it. So these people have security in the unseen. Meaning, they know Allah is there. They know there's angels recording everything. They know there's jinns and some of those stories are true. They know that there's a day of judgment. All these things are in the unseen. All the things from the past that are in the unseen. How is Iman bil ghaib like what we said about Alif Lamin? What's the parallel? It's unknown, which is that like you just trusted. Mm-hmm. So here I'm saying there's limits to my knowledge that Allah is not bound by. And here we're saying there's limits to my perception that Allah is not bound by. In both cases, I'm embracing limits upon myself. And I'm expanding my world because I'm saying there's so much more. Okay. The next one, they establish salah. So you know what we mean by salah? We're talking about five daily prayers and such. What does the word salah mean? So we'll usually translate as worship, but the word itself. Sule. What is salah? It means to connect. When I am making my prayers, what am I seeking to connect to? Whom am I seeking to connect to? Okay, very good. So I'm seeking to connect to Allah. Who else or what else am I seeking to connect to? How did I learn how to pray? Going back all the way to? The Prophet, peace be upon him. Every time I'm making my prayers, I'm also connecting to the Prophet, peace be upon him, by obeying him, by following his example. What is the best type of prayer? Both done in congregation. I'm also connecting to the community. How do I know when it is time to pray? Well, I look at my phone, I look at my app, and it says it's 12.58. Okay, how do I know when it's time to pray? Well, okay, suppose there's no sun. It's where the sun is in the sky or how long my shadow is, right? So I'm also connecting to nature. We can say the world around me, nature. And I'm also connecting to myself. Think about the last part of Salah. When you are making du'a, so think of this position. So sometimes the Prophet, peace be upon him, when he is making du'a, he lifts his hands so high that you can even see under his arms. What is this position? I'm begging, right? I'm asking Allah, Ya Allah, please give me. Or think about if my hands are like this. It's as though I'm holding a mirror of what? My heart. Okay? Another 60-second exercise. 
Python 1, 2, 3. And I want you to write down three things that you forget to pray for that you should pray for. Write them up. Any three things. Again, this is totally private. You don't have to share it with anybody if you don't want to. you to list one, two, three again, or you can make it four, five, six. I want you to list three things that we've talked about so far in this class that you want to develop or develop further as things to pray for. Maybe it is taqwa, maybe it is trust, maybe it is knowledge of the book, anything. Okay, <clears throat> so what are we saying? Uh, my ideal prayer is including all these different types of connection. Okay. Let's take a step back, a quick step back into Al-Fatiha. Okay. So, <clears throat> the whole of the Islamic tradition traces itself back to the Qur'an and the Prophet, peace be upon him. Okay. And the whole of the Qur'an and the Prophet, peace be upon him, trace themselves back to Al-Fatiha. Okay. And the whole of Al-Fatiha traces itself back to the Basmallah, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. And Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim traces itself back to the B of Bismillah. What am I saying? If, the more I understand about the B of Bismillah, the more I understand the essence of Bismillah Rahman Rahim. Okay? The more I understand of Bismillah Rahman Rahim, these are good things to write, the more I understand of the essence of Al Fatiha. The more I understand of Al Fatiha, the more I understand the essence of the Quran and the Prophet, peace be upon him. And the more I understand of the Quran and the Prophet, peace be upon him, the more I understand the essence of all the different Islamic sciences. Yeah. So, let me start from the end or from the beginning? Okay. So the more I understand of the B of Bismillah, the more I understand the essence of Bismillah Rahman Rahim, the Basmallah. The more I understand of the Basmallah, meaning Bismillah Rahman Rahim, the more I'm understanding the whole essence of Al Fatiha. So far, so good? Am I going too fast? I just need the first time. Are you again? 
you mean the beginning? Yeah. The more I understand of the B, yeah. I understand the essence of Bismillah Rahman Rahim. The more I understand of Bismillah Rahman Rahim, the more I understand the essence of Al Fatiha, the more I understand the heart of Al Fatiha. And the more I understand of Al Fatiha, the more I understand the essence of the Prophet, peace be upon him, and the Quran. Think of Al Fatiha as the heart of the Prophet and the Quran, and the Prophet and the Quran as the heart of all the other Islamic sciences that develop from there. So, B, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Al Fatiha, Prophet and the Quran, Islamic sciences. So, five things. There's actually more in between, but I'm keeping it simple. If I understand Al Fatiha, then maybe I understand the essence of Surahs 2 and 3, and then so forth. So, far, so good? So, when we're saying B, the B of Bismillah, what does that mean? It's a simple preposition, what does it mean? It means in or with. Right? We say Bismillah means in the name of Allah, with the name of Allah. What is it? It is connection. And we're saying one of the hearts of the whole deen is connection. And it's easier to understand the opposites. What do we call an act of disobedience of Allah? Easy word. Sin. Yeah? Think of any sin you can think of. What is it doing? I mean, it's a sin because Allah Ta'ala says it's a sin. But what is it doing? You're breaking a relationship. If I skip a prayer, I'm breaking my relationship with Allah. I'm straining it. If I tell a lie to you, a'udhu billah and all these, then I'm straining my relationship with you. I'm breaking my relationship to you. If you trust me with something, then I go blab it to everyone else. I'm breaking my relationship with you. So one of the hearts of the whole deen is connection. And one of the ways to break the deen is through disconnecting. And so this is why, one of the many reasons why salah is one of the pillars of your faith. Because it's all about connection. Ideally, I'm connecting to all five of these. Suppose I'm making my prayers, and I just feel like I'm not connecting to anything. Should I still pray? Yeah, of course, because it's still an act of obedience. So even if I feel like I'm getting nothing out of it, the fact that I'm doing it is by definition spirituality. Okay, so far so good? So we're saying that this is another attribute of the people of Taqwa. That they're not just praying... They are establishing prayer. Okay. Now what does that mean? It means not only are you making your, your, all your five prayers, but it's so much a fixed portion of your life, you're arranging your prayers around it. So here's what you can find yourself doing over the course of your life. Alright, I have school, I have work, okay, I can make Zohar this time, Asr that time, Asr that time in between. And that's good. But as you're developing Taqwa, you're going to organize your day around your prayers. That's what my father does. My father, mashallah, he's been doing all five in the masjid for, I don't know, like 30 years. And he literally organizes his day around his prayers. That, mashallah, is great for him. Most of us are going to organize our prayers around our day, which is still very good. The point is these are different levels. So this is an ongoing practice of establishing prayer. 
you're making this part of your routine. And then one of the interesting things, especially if you live in a city like Chicago or in much of North America, as you and I know, the prayer times just keep changing throughout the year. Right? So you have to be active. It would be one thing if prayer, if Fudger was always at four, if Zohar was always at one, if Asr was always at five, and then eight, and then, you know, ten. But ours days are not like that. Right? It'd be easy to schedule your day around it. But no, it's changing minute by minute, day by day. And so this is also an active process. How is Salah like belief in the unseen, like Alif Lami? This is a more tough question. <coughs> okay. So we understand how belief in the unseen is like what we said about Alif Lami. Right? Alif Lami, there's knowledge beyond my knowledge. And Iman Bilhay, belief in the unseen, there are things beyond my perception. How is Salah parallel to all this? Dun, dun, dun. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, I'm just going like, to try this out. Go for it. Um, so you're praying to Allah who's, you don't see, so you're putting your hand on the ground. Definitely. That you, you can't physically see, but you still have the imam, imam okay. and you still do it because you know that he's always there. Okay, so excellent. That's definitely a big part of this right here. So part of it is the trust that there's an effect to my prayers. Yes? And then knowing the limitations of, like, I can't do anything without... Oh, well, so, okay. so this is also part of it too. That, ya Allah, I'm nothing without you. I have no power except the power that you have. Okay? Now think about this. Both of your answers are 100% correct, mashallah. And let's take it a step further. Suppose I did all the steps of prayer in reverse order. Okay? So let's say I'm sitting and I start, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. And then, and then I sit up, and then so forth and so on. What if I did it all in reverse order? Will I get the same credit? No. I did the whole thing. You're still not doing it the way the Prophet. Uh, so it was not the way that was prescribed. Imagine you did everything perfectly, every step of your salat you did perfectly, and you're right in front of the Kaaba, but you're praying with your back to the Kaaba. What do you think? Will it pass? Yeah. Well, suppose you did, you know, a hundred extra nuffles. Why not? Because you're doing, you're breaking what the prophet said. Okay. And so what are we saying? I have trust that I do these steps this way. There's an effect that I can't see. that the effect will definitely be, inshallah, on the other side, but might also be on this side. Effect greater than just yoga. Right? Because these are like yoga positions. But I'm saying that I have trust that there is an effect to this beyond what I can see. Well, I'll tell you one thing about my own experience with Salah. So, it used to be, my schedule used to be just the same. Like, all day, non-stop, from 7 a.m. to midnight, maybe 35 days in a row. No exaggeration. You know, Marshall, my day is not as insane as it was. Lecture, 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 class, 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 right? And I couldn't wait to get that to that one day off, which might be 40 days away, might be seven days away, depending upon where I am. And then that one day off, I would just sleep. Okay? All the sleep that I missed. But all of those days, I'd be completely exhausted. Then I decided to experiment with a change in strategy. I decided 
in my prayers, the way I couldn't wait to get to that vacation day, that's how I'm going to be towards every next prayer. So the next prayer is going to be about two and a half hours, inshallah. That's the excitement I'll have. Okay? And think about what you do. What are you doing? You're throwing the whole world behind you when you begin your salah. And so then I, my experiment was, okay, my salah is going to be my vacation. Okay? So for these five minutes, I don't care what happens in the world. I'm not going to worry about anything. I'm taking vacation from life. And for these five minutes, ten minutes, it's only going to be focused on Allah. Okay? And then people began to notice my energy levels, for some reason, had skyrocketed. Absolutely true. So instead of waiting for the day off, where I could just sleep and sleep and sleep, I made my salah, my vacation from dunya. Right? And you've heard some of those stories, right? You've heard the story of Ali, may Allah be pleased with him, right? He gets hit with the spear. And then the companion is saying, we have to take the spear out. He says, no, I'm going to pray first. Okay. And they're like, we've got to take the spear out. He says, no, I'm going to pray. And then he's done praying, and he says, okay, you can take the spear out. And what do they say? Yeah, we took it out while you're praying. Okay. Okay. That's a level that we can, well, I don't know if we can get to that level. That's the level of Ali, may Allah be pleased with you, right? But the point I'm making is you make those five minutes, ten minutes, your vacation from everything, and it's just you and Allah. Okay. Now, one of the most common questions I get is how do I increase my concentration in my salah? Because, you know, I say Allahu Akbar, and then now I'm thinking about homework and school, and oh man, I still got to make up my six fast of shawal, and um, what's for dinner, hope you have some samosas. Okay, right, you're going to think about everything. So one way to develop your concentration in Allah is not to focus on what's going on in your imagination. Tell me some things that you have that Allah Ta'ala does not have. So Allah Ta'ala possesses all that is in the samawat, all that's in the earth, meaning all that's in the skies and the earth. He owns it all. What is something you have that he does not have? Yes? Okay, so you have the ability to die, which is what he gives us, sure, okay. Okay, so he doesn't have a rob, he doesn't have a malik, fair enough. What else? Worries. Sorry? Yes, I doesn't have any worries. Okay, now we're getting warmer. Yes? Needs. He has no need. You have need. Okay. So when you are making your prayers to Allah, focus on your needs. Okay. So once again, 60-second exercise, write down one, two, three. And I want you to write down some things you actually need. Like, we all can say, okay, well, I need air, and I need food, and I need water. But think about the pains that you have. Actually, let's stop. Let's make this more interesting. Okay. So, <clears throat> this whole exercise will probably take about five, maybe ten minutes. All right. Okay. I want you to think of something you wish you could have that you can probably get as soon as class ends. Okay. Maybe it's a drink of cold water. Maybe it's something else. Something that you can't have right now, but you can probably get as soon as class ends. You don't have to share with me what it is. Everybody have something? Yeah. You don't have something? You need something? You got something? Okay. Everybody have something? Sabri, have something? Okay. All right. So now, for the next 20 seconds, I just want you to focus on that thing. So I'm going to focus on a tall glass of cold water. Begin. 
Just focus on this thing. Okay, stop. Were you kind of able to do it? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. Now what I want you to do is don't focus on the thing. Focus on your desire for it. So I was focusing on this tall glass of cold water. Okay. Now I'm going to focus on my thirst. Okay. So focus on your yearning, your desire for that thing. Are you about to get a tall glass of cold water? <laughs> that was just a joke. Okay. All right. Okay, so focus on the desire for it. Begin. Okay, stop. Are you kind of able to do it? Okay, so you're focusing on your desire for it. Now we're going to make it a step deeper. I want you to think about something you wish you could have, but you probably can't get it until at least after finishing this camp. How long does this camp go for? Three weeks. Three weeks? Yeah. Okay. Right. Think about something you wish you can have, but you're not going to be able to get it until after you leave this camp and go home. Okay. Everybody have something? You don't have something? You have everything you want in Dunia, right? <laughs> Maybe it's to go, you know, hug a baby or something. I don't know. Think of something you wish you could do. You have something? You can have, there's something there. Okay, where do you live? Crown Point in Oh, you live in Crown Point? Okay, so that's not far from, from, from where I grew up. Okay. Where do you live? So, South Island, you know where that is? No idea. Okay, you know where Monster is? Yeah. Okay, so it's the other side of the border. Okay. So, yeah, there's nothing in Crown Point in Indiana, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Okay. All right. okay. <laughs> Everyone else, you have something? Yes. My cat. Your what? My cat. Okay, so think about her cat. Okay. okay. So, so, like, you want to go home and hug your cat or something? Okay, that works. Okay. So, everybody else have something? You got something? Close? Okay. All right. So, now I want you to focus for the next 20 seconds on this thing, whatever it is, that you can't have until after you finish this camp. Okay, begin. Focus on that thing. So focus on your cat or whatever it is. Okay, stop. Able to do it? Kind of, yeah? Cat lady, yes? Okay. Okay. This one's harder. This one you're not going to share with anybody. Okay. I want you to think of something you really wish you could have, but you probably can't have. Okay. Uh, and what are these things? Maybe you have a loved one who's passed away okay, that you wish you could be reunited with. Okay. And you're not going to be able to get it until you're on the other side. Okay. For a lot of young people, it's for their parents to be proud of them. Okay. Think of something you really wish you could have that is so tender inside of yourself you don't like to think about it. Okay. Okay. So think of something you really, really wish you could have that you even censor yourself from thinking about because it will cause you sadness or pain. And again, you're not going to share this with anybody but yourself 
and Allah. Okay, everybody have something? Okay, so now I want you to focus on this. Whatever it is, maybe it's reunion with a person, you know, your parents to be happy or to see, meet somebody. Now focus on that for the next 20 seconds. to do it, kind of? Yeah. Yes. And it's understandable. We have a lot of people with teary eyes. It's understandable because we're talking about something very sensitive. Now what I want you to do is focus on your desire for that. So let's say you have a loved one who's passed away. Okay. Now focus on your desire to be reunited with that loved one. Okay. Whatever it is. So you're focusing on the thirst again. Okay. Begin. Okay, stop. So, you make all of your prayers for everything with that level of need and desire. And that'll make it much easier for you to concentrate in your prayers. So, even if you're praying for something small or seemingly small, pray for it with that level of need. Good. And what are you doing? You're saying to Allah, Ya Allah, I have this need. What is need? It's often this hole inside yourself. And you're giving it to Allah. Okay. So make all of your prayers with that. And when you're lifting your hands up in dua for those things that you listed, anything big or small, maybe you just want a popsicle, pray with that level of need. And inshallah, inshallah, you will see a big difference, not just in your prayers, but how you live your life. Guys, all of our marketing tells us to forget your need and just fill it with, you know, with drinks or whatever else. Okay? And we're saying a big part of you is not from this world. And so, oh, excellent for me. Look at this. See, this is what I wanted. Well, I answered. Like for my eyes, mashallah. Okay. So, so the, yeah, not even stage, not planned in advance. Yeah. Okay, so, but what am I saying? Now you make all your du'as, all of them that level of need, including your du'a for whatever it is you wanted just now. And I'm telling you, you will see a difference in the way you pray, inshallah. And sometimes what I have to do when I'm about to start my prayer, I have to re-remind myself about whatever need I have in my heart to make it easy for me to reconcentrate in prayer. Okay, how are you doing? You need a break? Or are you fine? We're good. We're good. good. Anybody want a break? All right, let us continue. All right, they established Salah. Number three, they do infaq. Usually translation, they spend of what we have bestowed upon them. First, the easy question, who is we here? We is Allah. So there's a couple understandings of the use of we. One is a simple grammatical understanding. This is what we call the royal we. Often in the Quran, when Allah Ta'ala is speaking of himself bestowing something, you will see we. Okay. Or, if Allah Ta'ala is speaking to him about himself formally, very often you'll see we as opposed to I. We have this in a number of languages. So how many of you speak Urdu? Ish. Or understand Urdu, I should say. 
right? So can anyone tell me the difference between Meranam and Hamarinam? Yeah, literally it's our name. So one time I called up my <laughs> called up my friend, and so Auntie answers, and I go, hey, Auntie, is, well, I didn't say hey, but Auntie, Auntie, can I talk to Harun? And so the Auntie's like, who's calling? I said, Hamada Nam Omerhead, right? And this other kid in the room started laughing hysterically. I'm like, why? He said, you just said, our name is Omar, right? Like, you're talking like a king, right? Uh, what if I'm speaking, anybody here know French? All right. If I'm speaking to somebody informally, if I'm saying you, what word do I say? And if I want to speak to you formally, what do I say? And what does vous mean? Vous is you plural, even though I'm speaking to you individually, right? So grammatically, this is essentially what we're seeing here. But when is it often used in the Quran? When Allah Ta'ala is speaking about himself in the way we would think of a king bestowing upon people. Okay. So they give or spend of what we have bestowed upon them. But this word infaq is very interesting. It doesn't just mean to give or to spend. It means to give to the point of exhaustion. They spend. They give or they spend of what we have bestowed upon them. The people of taqwa, they give to the point of exhaustion. answered. Okay, so think about this. This is what we think of when we think of the Prophet, right? Peace be upon him. This is what we think of Abu Bakr. That the Prophet never said no. If he had something to give you, he would give it to you, if you asked. Right. Abu Bakr would give everything. So this is an attribute of people of taqwa. They give, and they give, and they give. Now, take this a step further. Suppose <coughs> I have a billion dollars saved up from all the different times I've taught Hira class. Okay? Suppose I have that much money saved up. Hira camp, whatever it's called. Okay. Uh, and someone I know and trust comes to me asking me for money. Okay. What are some things that will make it hard for me to give to this person? And I know them, I trust them, and they're going to use the money wisely. Yes? They're wasting their money foolishly. Sorry? But let's say I know they're not going to waste their money foolishly. No. So that could be fair. Like but, the money they have, they're wasting. Okay, let's say I know that they're totally clean and everything. Yes? Okay, so one possibility could be I work so hard for this, it's hard for me to let it go. What else? Your greed. Okay, maybe I'm just greedy. What else? Fear for the future. Ah, so I don't need the money today, but something might happen tomorrow, I might need it. Yes? Yeah, maybe your mom will get mad at you too. Yeah. I mean, my mom gets mad at me too. Like, yeah, I had to go to a graduation party for my nephew, and my mom's like, do not give too much money. All right, fine. Okay, so <clears throat> how does this connect to what we've been saying about Alif Lamin, Mim, Ghaib, Salah, that I'm giving, and I don't know what the future is going to hold. Yes? Well, unseen, so you don't know what's going to happen in the future, but you're still going to follow the Sunnah or follow the mm -hmm. tradition that the Prophet said mm -hmm. by being. Which, which means what is built into what you're saying? I trust that I'm going to be okay. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, like, you give with the trust that Allah will take care of you. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then you're connecting with Allah through giving. Yes, absolutely. So here, I know what I have in the present. I don't know what my need is in the future. I don't know if I'm going to have any money in the future. And yet, I'm trusting that if I give this money today, 
I'm still going to be okay tomorrow. Raise your hand. Sorry, is NFAC, um like the definition of like spending so, so the meaning of infaq is giving to the point of exhaustion. So it's not the same as zakat. You'd find this be more uh, sadaqah. But you're basically, it's not just sadaqah. It's you're just giving to the point of exhaustion. You're just giving and giving and giving. Okay. So we're saying that if I'm giving, I have trust that I'm going to be okay. A disaster could happen tomorrow. But the one who is giving me the wealth is also the one who's giving me the disaster. So inshallah, I'll be okay. Yeah. It might be difficult, but I'll still get through. So when you are giving, what else is happening? You're breaking your attachment to your wealth, and you're seeing you're still okay. Because what you'll see is when someone gets rich, let's say someone suddenly makes a billion dollars, what is the first thing they want? Another billion. Right? And what happens when you start developing a lot of money, more than you realize, you start becoming dependent upon the money. So I need all this to be safe. Even though three weeks earlier, you might have been broke. Okay. And so when you're giving of zakat, okay, when we speak of it as purification, you're breaking your attachment from it. When you're giving sadaqah, you're breaking your attachment from it. And as you repeatedly give sadaqah, you're beginning to reprogram yourself to see that your dependence is not on the wealth, but on the one who gave you the wealth. Okay, so these are three attributes. The next two, they believe in what has been sent down to you, in parentheses, Muhammad, and they believe in what has been sent down to those before you. Peace be upon the Prophet. So, easy question, what has the Prophet received, peace be upon him? One? Quran. What's the other one? Sorry? I mean, all those things, too. But essentially, we would often speak of the sunnah, right? I mean, you might have already done it in your ulum class, or you might do it, but basically, the Prophet, peace has received two types of revelation. What are they? One is recited revelation, and one is non-recited. Non-recited is often referring to the sunnah. This is a simple point for us. What are some things we believe about the Quran? Easy things. This is a really, really easy question. The stories. Sorry? The stories. Even easier than that. What are some things we believe about the Quran? It's true. Okay, one thing we said is that it's truth. What else? Easy, easy things. So if someone said, some stranger walks up to you in the middle of the street and you know, they don't scare you, but they, they ask you, okay, tell me like four things about the Quran. What else would you say? It's been unchanged. Okay, so unchanged, what else? No doubt. No doubt, what else? Comes from Allah. Comes from Allah, most important part, right? To the Prophet, peace be upon Okay, the other question, they believe in that which has been sent to those before you. How many scriptures have there been? The Quran mentions how many scriptures? So what are they? The Torah. The Injil, Zabur, the Suhuf of Ibrahim, Quran. How many scriptures have there been total? Don, 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 don. Okay. How many prophets have there been in history? About 124,000. When do we see this? When the prophet was on the night journey. Right? He goes to Jerusalem and he says there are 124,000 prophets there. Okay. 
there are as many as 1,400 scriptures revealed in history. The Quran mentions five. There have been as many as 1,400. Well, yes? Wait, so like basically that was our religion? What yeah. Well, okay, what's the religion of Musa alayhi salam? Islam. What's the religion of Jesus? Is it Christianity? No, it's Islam. Don, 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 don. That will be a different class. Yeah. Uh, how, did, how did, you know, the religion of Jesus become? Okay, in Christianity, is Jesus Christian? No, he's Jewish. And then he becomes the son of God. Yeah. In, he's, he's Muslim. His, 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 uh, his companions are Muslim. They even say that in which surah? Surah Al-Ma'idah, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Mind blown. Okay, okay. So, yeah, the religion of Musa, alayhi salam. Okay, what's the religion of Ibrahim, alayhi salam? Yeah, now you're going to say Muslim for everything. But yeah, I mean, uh, many will say he was a Jewish prophet, but he came before Judaism, even according to the Jews. These, they're all prophets of Islam. They didn't speak Arabic, so they may not have called it Islam, right? But that which we refer to as La ilaha illallah, that was all of their religions. So the prophet spoke Arabic, Prophet Muhammad spoke Arabic. Did all the other prophets? So there's a minority opinion that all the prophets spoke Arabic, yeah, but they definitely spoke the language of their people. Okay, that everyone agrees upon. There's also a minority opinion. Oh, no, it's not a minority opinion that in Jannah we're all going to speak Arabic. All the Arabs get excited. That would mean they'd have to go to paradise. But anyway, so so, <laughs> so we're saying that I'm from the southwest suburbs. I can say that. Okay, so um, so we're saying yeah. There's as many as 1,400 revelations. Is that interesting? And then commentary says that those 1,400 revelations are summed up in those five. Actually, those four. And those four are summed up in the Quran. So we also speak of the Qur'an as the completion of revelation. Well, uh, yes? What did you say for the, uh, they believe in what, send, so you finish the third one on uh, infaq, what did you say after that? So number four, they believe in what has been sent to, to the Prophet, peace upon him, that's recited and unrecited revelation. Okay. And then... Uh, what has been sent down to those before him. So the Quran mentions five, yeah. uh, but there may be as many as 1,400 books in history. I've forgotten where this commentary is from. This was taught by you know, a teacher of mine. It would most likely be in the Hadith literature. You know where that is? Okay, this is a, this is a Mufti Kamani taught it to me, but I forgot where he got it from. Yeah. Is that as far as you went with the recited and unrecited revelation? That's, uh, no, this is number five. Okay, Revelation so is sent to those uh, for for those mm -hmm. for number four. That's all I said. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to ask Mufti Kamani where he got it from. So. <clears throat> so. So we're saying here that we believe in all of them, even if we're speaking about those five. Okay. What do we believe about the Torah? Okay. So all of them, we believe they are from Allah, they have the exact same deen. What is the deen? There is no God but God. Okay. Muhammad's a messenger of God, peace be upon him, there's a day of judgment. The Sharia, 
may change. I mean, the law of the people of Musa is different than the law of the people of Muhammad, peace be upon him. So the Sharia may be different. The deen is the same. But all of these books, number one, have been lost or changed. More than that, as soon as the Quran came, and with each revelation of the Quran, they become expired. The Quran overtakes all previous revelations. It's interesting. Uh, I've had rabbis as students. And there are, uh, are you familiar with Judaism in America? Like, there's three main groups of Jews in America. Anybody know who they are? I mean, many of them are Zionists, but okay. So there's Orthodox, Reform, and Conservative. My Orthodox Jewish students also believe that the Torah is unchanged. My Reformed Jewish students say, no, it's been rewritten and rewritten and rewritten throughout time. So, different opinion there. But the overwhelming majority of Muslim belief is that the Quran is preserved. Yeah. Are you going to talk about the different Ahruf? Oh, excellent. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. So, okay, so make sure you pay attention to class in first inshallah. Okay. All right. Sixth attribute of those who have taqwa. They are certain of the hereafter. What we'll do is we'll finish off uh, up to ayah 5. Then we'll take a short break and we'll come back. Good. <coughs> Tell me something that you are absolutely unquestioning and questionably certain about. Anything. Yes. You are absolutely 100% no doubt certain that you're going to be judged. He said that really softly. <laughs> it's like, it's like, we'll be judged? Yeah. Okay, correct? Yes. You are absolutely, 100%, no doubt, certain you're going to die. No doubt whatsoever. Okay, what else? What else are any of you certain of? Yes. You are 100% certain, no doubt that you're sitting there. Okay, so we got, we got a couple things here. We have, we have judgment, we have death, and then sitting here. What else? What else are anything else that you're certain of? No doubt whatsoever. Yes. You are no doubt at all certain that Allah exists. No doubt whatsoever. Okay, well you, that was hesitating. That was like, yes? Okay. Anyone else? Anything you're certain of? You're certain that Allah exists? What was it, your team? Yeah. Okay. What else? Anything else? Okay. How many of you are absolutely certain you're going to die? No question. You're not sure? Okay. All of you are absolutely certain you're going to die. Now, here's the question. Okay, you don't have to raise your hand on this one. Are you you're, you're already, okay, you can keep your hand up. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, are you, now don't raise your hand for this, are you absolutely certain that you're going to be judged? That there's a day of judgment? Yeah. Yeah? Okay, now here's what you do look at your actions from the moment you woke up today to now. Okay? Do a review of your day. 
So if you were undergrads, I would assume you woke up at 3.45 p.m., but you are all, mashallah, you're here at camp students, you probably woke up at 2 a.m. doing the hajjah nonstop, and then, yeah, okay. So, sorry, what? Okay. So, look at everything you did, especially you. Okay, look at everything <laughs> from the moment you woke up, nonstop, until now. Okay. So let's say hypothetically you woke up at 4 a.m. today, hypothetically, and you didn't even sleep since then. Okay. Hypothetically. Everything you did in those 12 hours, even if you did sleep, if someone else looked at that, those actions, would they say this is the, these are the actions of someone who's certain they're going to be judged? Don, 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 don. Okay. The proof is in my actions. If I believe... No, if I'm certain that I'm going to be judged before Allah on the day of judgment, my actions will show you if I really do believe it, or if I'm just telling myself I do. That's the hard question. I'm not going to ask you if, if you pass your own test. But, uh, so we're saying the people of taqwa, they have that certainty. They have that certainty, which means if you look at their actions, those are the actions of someone who clearly knows that they're going to be judged. Okay, and that's the person of taqwa. So now, again, uh, write down, make a list of everything you did today. It's easy because you're in hero camp. So. especially when you're not in Hurricane. So you use Hurricane as like, you know, you're, you're recharging and learning and getting formed, and then you get throw up, thrown out of the nest. See what you do. Does Hurricane stand for something? Like how Islamic? No, the cave. At all. Oh, 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 okay. I don't want to call it hero. So yeah, make a list of everything you've done today. That includes all the times when you were in class and maybe you had your phone and you're looking at your phone and talking to people on your phone. Okay, whatever it is, include all those things. self-accounting, self-analysis. I'll give you another 25 seconds. So this is illustrating what I'm actually certain of, meaning my actions will tell you what I really believe. And naturally, most of us, if not all of us, are going to fall short. And one of the gifts of falling short is that we also have tawbah. Right? One of the
one of the gifts of having Toba as an option means, yeah, you will fall short. But then you can see forgiveness. So that's a really fantastic get-out-of-jail-free card that Allah has given us. Okay, so they are certain of the hereafter. How is this like what we've been saying about Elif Lamim or belief in the unseen established Allah? How does this parallel? Should be pretty easy. So the hereafter is unseen, right? So I'm doing the things I'm doing in this life with trust, with belief that there's something huge on the other side. So think about how awake you are right now. You will be more awake on the day of judgment. You will never have been as awake in your life as you will be that day. And then each and every one of us will be called by name. And you go through your whole accounting. Every single bit of it. Inshallah, it'll be easy. But it will be awe-inspiring. Cataclysm like we've never seen. Finishing off this point, yes? Okay, so we're saying, Alif Lamim, there's knowledge, my knowledge is limited. Allah Ta'ala is not limited by that, so there's knowledge beyond my knowledge. Belief in the unseen, there's a world beyond my perception that is beyond my perception, not beyond Allah's perception. With Salah, I'm saying that by going through these steps in this particular way, at this particular time, uh, there is an effect greater than just you know, the yoga, the effect of stretching. Actually, true yoga is supposed to be like that. Like, you know, orthodox classical Hindus hate American yoga because we've just turned it into stretching, right? There's a funny, there's a funny uh, YouTube video with a lot of bad words of Gandhi coming and seeing all these people doing yoga, and he's just like flipping out. What are you people doing? Okay. But the point is, with Salah, I'm saying if I go through all these steps, there is an effect greater than what I can detect, perhaps even in dunya. Okay? And then giving, in terms of infaq, we're saying that I'm giving, not knowing what the future holds, whether I will need this money, but I trust that I'll be okay. okay. And then, of course, believing the revelations, I'm believing that this revelation is coming from a source beyond dunya. Right? And certainty of the hereafter is I'm believing that there's something beyond this world. So they're all addressing beyond. But what's built into all of these attributes of taqwa? These people have thorough trust in Allah. So what does it say in Ayah 5? These people have guidance, which is what we said in Ayah 2. Ayah 2 says this is guidance for those who have taqwa. Those of taqwa have these six attributes. Those of these six attributes have guidance from their rabb. We'll talk about rabb a little bit later. And they are successful. What is the success of the people of taqwa? One is jannah. What else is the success of the people of taqwa in this world? Contentment. Yeah, probably contentment. The people of taqwa understand how this world works. Which doesn't make it easy, but it makes it easier to deal with. And they have contentment, they have gratitude. Yeah. That is one of the biggest successes you can have in this world. Can you yes. say that again? So the people of Taqwa on the other side will have Jannah, inshallah. And in this world they'll have contentment. Meaning, they understand how the world works. That sometimes you're going to be hit with suffering. 
Sometimes you're going to be hit with ease. You have to obey a law. Sometimes you may have to make tough decisions. And with trust in Allah, they will be okay. So far so good? Okay. Let's take a break and reconvene according to that clock at 4.10. Alhamdulillah.